want to invite you to find Psalm 119 in your Bible. I hope you have a Bible with you. If you don't, you can probably download one quick on your phone, or the words of our text will be up on the screen in just a moment. Psalm 119 is right in the middle of your Bible. It's the longest psalm. We're at verse 9. If you're joining us uh, for the first time or for the first time in, in quite a while, our summer study, summer 2021, has been on sexual purity, a weighty subject. And we came to Psalm 119, verse 9, and found this question. How can a young man keep his way pure? How can any of us keep our lives pure? And we've noticed that the answer here is a multi-stranded answer. It involves a lot of things being different in our lives. And we've got um, a slide that will pop up here in just a minute to remind us of all the different things that are involved in this answer. We've talked about how our posture is involved. That's the first thing we covered. Our our heart attitude matters. We have to have the attitude of of a servant, or excuse me, of a student and a guard. The answer involves our affections, what we love. The answer involves our activity, what we do. All these things are part of the answer. How can a young man keep his way pure? Well, our posture matters. Our affections matter. Our activity matters. Last week, we talked about how dependence matters, how we are to be dependent on God. And today we're taking up the final strand, which is our resolve. That's verses 15 and 16, our resolve. That's a lot of places to focus, isn't it? To have an answer with that many different things to think about, like five different things to focus on, a multi-stranded answer to that question. We can either be frustrated by that and think, gosh, I wish I could just focus on one thing. Or we could realize that it actually makes sense that it's a multi-stranded answer. Because we want to acknowledge it's a multi-stranded problem. Our sexuality is a very complex issue. There isn't just one thing that leads us towards impurity. There's all kinds of things that might lead us in that direction. Loneliness. Anger, fear, disappointment, rebellion, all these things play into our lives, and there's lots of different reasons why we might be compelled to seek out some kind of sexual impurity. We are complex. It's a complex problem, so we have this multi-stranded answer. And really, we're talking about a complete overhaul of our interior lives. So we've taken it week by week, looking at these different things. Verses 9 through 16, looking into this author's life. What, What are they saying? How are they attacking this problem in 
their life? What are they holding up as the God-given answer to this question? Learning all these things about the transformation that's happening on the inside. And today as we come to the end, verses 15 and 16, we learn that in order to keep our lives pure, we are to be resolved. Resolution is part of the equation. And we'll talk about what that means and how that looks in our lives, okay? Let's read the text one more time, verses 9 through 16. And then we'll get into the two points of our outline, very simply resolution and then confession, okay? Let's stand, shall we, in honor of God and his word. Psalm 119, verses 9 through 16. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Heavenly Father, thank you for communion. Thank you for nourishing our souls with Jesus. Please keep doing that here in the word. For we ask in his holy name. Amen. All right, please be seated. To be resolved is to be firmly committed to a decision or a direction. And there is, I think we would have to say, in verses 15 and 16, a high degree of resolution present. There's a lot of resolution on display in verses 15 and 16. Look look at it with me. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. How many different resolutions is that? That's four. Four different resolutions right here at the end. I will do this, and I will do this, and I will do this, and I will do this. So it's apparent that part of our answer, how can a young man keep his way pure? Part of this involves resolution. That's got to be one of the strands of our answer. We talked last week about how important it is to depend on God for help in this area of our lives. How we're looking to him, very vulnerable, saying, God, I need your help. But we're noticing today that being dependent on God does not preclude also being resolved. Now, what do we want to say about these resolutions? Well, notice the nature of the resolutions. Notice that they're not the kind of resolutions that you and I would probably make regarding this area of our lives. If you or I were going to make resolutions regarding sexual purity, they'd probably be something along the lines of this. I'm not going to do that anymore. 
or I'm never doing that again. Probably we're making sin-centered resolutions that are focused on something that we're trying to avoid. Or maybe we're making what we could call self-centered resolutions. That would just be something simply like, I am going to be pure today. Or I'm, I'm going to do the right thing today. Maybe our resolution sounds something like that. And there's nothing wrong with those kinds of resolutions. We're not saying there's no place for that in our lives, that it's wrong to say, I'm never doing that again, or I'm going to be pure today. That's not what we're saying. Those things can be helpful. All we're saying is that that's not what's presented to us here. These are God-centered resolutions. Notice the formulation, your precepts. I will meditate on your precepts, your ways, your statutes, your word. Look at the repetition in the Bible in front of you. Your, 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 over and over again. Focused on him, looking away. The author's not saying, I'm never going to do this again. That's not the resolution. The resolution is to be God-focused, isn't it? Don't you love that kind of resolution? Have you had enough of the other kind? (laughs) Where you say, I'm never going to do that again? Isn't this just like water to your soul to feel like you have permission to make a, a different kind of resolution? Focused on the positive, where the focus is not on avoiding something. The focus is on apprehending God. So we're going to take the next few minutes and talk about what it would look like for us to be resolved to focus Godward in this area of our lives. A Godward focus when it comes to sexual purity. What does that look like? Well, first of all, when we talk about having a a Godward focus and we're trying to wrap our mind around what that means, because that can be a a nebulous idea. Okay, I hear you saying, Pastor, I I should have a Godward focus. What does that mean? Let's take that idea that can be a little bit nebulous and make it really, really concrete because the Scriptures allow us to make it really, really concrete. When we say we must focus Godward, we are free to focus on the person of Jesus. To narrow it down to that exact point in the universe that is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's why we can do that. Two references from the book of Hebrews of why we can say that when we have a Godward focus, we can narrow it down to the person of Jesus. Because in Hebrews 1, we read, He is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of His nature. Jesus. And then we come to Hebrews 12 where we read, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes. See, it's the exact same language as Psalm 119. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author, perfecter of our faith. We're told to fix our eyes on him. That's our Godward focus. Eyes on Jesus. 
Now we get to ask the question, what do we see in him that helps us in this area of our lives? What are we looking for? What are we discerning in the Son of God that helps us with sexual purity? So here's what I want to do. We're, we're done with the first point in the outline, okay? We're moving on to confessions now. We've talked about resolution. Our resolution is to have a, a Godward focus that we can narrow down to Jesus. Now we're moving on to confessions. Not confession like when you confess to a crime, like you're owning up to doing something wrong. That's not the kind of confession we're talking about. We're talking about confession in the sense of saying what is true, confessing something as true. Like our confessions of the Christian faith, we can confess these two things about Jesus that are true, that help us in this area. And I want to set these two truths before you related to purity, especially if you have failed. Especially if you have been ashamed. Especially if you have received unwanted attention, even very public attention for failures in this area. I want to set these two truths about Jesus before you, especially if this is a hard subject for you, and you have hung in there for six weeks, and every week it's been like a gut shot. Especially if these things have been, for you, life-shaping and life-altering because of something that's happened in this area of your life. Whatever your experience is with sexual purity, make it your resolution to focus on these things about Jesus as we look to him, okay? Here's the first one, first confession. And by the way, both, both of these things are extremely simple. They're so basic that at first you'll hear it and think, why are we talking about that? Because <laughs> it's so simple. We're unpacking what it means for you and for me in this area, okay? First confession, Christ has made me pure. Christ has made me pure. If you are in Christ by faith, God does not see you as dirty, or offensive or impure. Your purity issue has been dealt with forever. Because your right standing before God does not depend on your ability to keep yourself pure. Your right standing before God depends on Jesus' performance and your faith in him. Your right standing before God rests on his behavior and his thought life. And there is no fault in him at all. All of Jesus' merits and all of his righteousness is yours when you place your faith in him. This is the scandalous, glorious 
gospel that we get to talk about and that I have the privilege of presenting to you today that impure sinners are made perfectly pure as though they had never sinned by the blood of Jesus. Not because they are able to keep themselves pure. Lifetimes of sin are erased because Jesus is a good person. And God has promised that whoever trusts Jesus and leans upon his goodness and receives his goodness as their own is forgiven. Did you know that? Did you know that that is the beautiful gospel of Jesus, that you don't have to keep trying to work harder to clean yourself up, to make yourself acceptable to God? (laughs) That's the best news in the world. This is the promise for everyone from every nation. It doesn't matter what nation you're from or what language you speak or how much money you have. It's for those of every background. This is for murderers and it's for prostitutes and it's for hard-hearted pharisaical people. It's for those who know that they're the worst of the worst. No one is beyond the mercy of God, and it is never too late in your life to go to Jesus and give your life to him. Come to Jesus. Confess your sins to him. He is willing to make you clean. He will forgive you. He has promised that no one gets turned away. Coming to meet Jesus is like going to one of those water parks where they have those big buckets that fill up over a period of three or four minutes. And you're watching the bucket fill up, and it's filling and filling, and eventually it gets so heavy that it tips over. Have you ever stood underneath one of those? Coming to meet Jesus is like going and standing under that bucket. And the bucket comes over, and from Jesus, down upon you, comes all of this compassion and all of this mercy and forgiveness and washing clean. It all comes pouring down upon you. And there's no other way to be made clean. That's it. You cannot be made clean any other way. Only by coming to Jesus. I was doing some cleaning at the the house yesterday. It was one of those rare occasions where I picked up something and was being helpful. And there there was a spot that I was trying to clean. And it looked like any other dark spot. And I was using a Clorox wipe, and I was wiping and wiping and wiping, and it would not come off. Nothing I could do could make it come off. And that's what sin is like. Sin is like that spot. There's only one thing that can take it off. You can't rub it off by trying to be good. Just like the Clorox wipe was not working, there's something else. There's only one thing that will take that off of you. Jesus Christ will take that off of you. The blood of Jesus offered to God on your behalf. Listen to the words of Titus chapter 2, Titus 2.14. Listen to what Jesus has done for you when you trust in him. Jesus Christ, these are 
the words from Paul to Titus, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people. To purify a people for himself. That's one of the things that happened at the cross. Jesus, when he died, was purifying a people for himself. There it is. Christ purifies his people by his death. That's our first confession. That's the first thing that we see in Jesus when we're looking to him for help in this area of our lives, feeling very impure. First thing we see in him is that Jesus has made me pure forever. Second confession. First one is Christ has made me pure. Second confession, Christ has called me to follow him. It's very simple, isn't it? You've known that forever. Christ has called me to follow him. Would you be willing to think with me about what that means? That confession, that simple confession, probably has an infinite number of beautiful implications that we could try to draw out. Just this idea that Christ has called me to follow. Wow, we could talk about that forever. We're only going to say two things about that, okay? Here they are. First, first implication of the reality that having saved me, Christ has called me to follow him. First implication, I may find my identity in him. I may find my identity in him as Christ follower, that that's my identity now. That's your identity now. If you have placed your faith in Jesus, that's who you are. That's your identity. You are not defined by your sexuality or your purity or your lack thereof. That's not your identity. Your sexuality is one part of who you are. And like every other part of you, it is fallen and broken. Like every other part of you, it's been affected by sin. It's the same for every person. It's called the doctrine of total depravity. Total depravity means we're fallen in every aspect of our creation. That there's no part of us untouched by sin. Our mind is affected. Our soul is affected. Our body is affected. Everything about us is fallen and broken. And our sexuality is one of those things. And the result of that broken sexuality is that there are things that we want to do with our minds and bodies that God has said are not okay. And you know what the result of that is? The result is that in the Old Testament, in the law, we have these large tracts of Scripture that list all of these prohibitions about what we cannot do with our bodies. Why would we need all those prohibitions unless we were so broken in that area? You know, you read through those things that are not allowed sexually, and you think, I would never even be tempted or think about doing that. Yeah, maybe not you, but as a member of our race, yeah, that's who we are. We are all broken in our sexuality, but what we're remembering is that that does not define us. It's just one of the many ways in which we're broken.
but we all know that the reality is um, being broken in our sexuality can feel like such a defining thing. It can feel that way. It can feel like it is the thing that defines us. What we did that one time or that this happened and it became known. And then like Hester Prynne, Nathaniel Hawthorne's Scarlet Letter, we feel like we wear that letter for everybody to see. So it can feel very defining. And that may be true for you. You may have come to see yourself in light of something regarding your sexuality or your purity, and it can feel like the defining thing about you. That's why we're taking time to remind ourselves today that it's not. We're reminding ourselves of what is true. That while all of those things might have happened, and they matter, and there are consequences, we remind ourselves of what we read in 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, and the new has come. If Christ has called you to follow him, let me tell you something. That's a big thing, and that is the defining thing about you. If he has seen you and called you to come and follow him and died for you, that's who you are. That is who you are at the core. You are a Christ follower. Christ has called you to follow him. That's the first implication that we can find our identity in him now. Okay, let's take a moment, remember what we're doing. We're talking about being resolved. Noticing that the kind of resolutions that we want to make are God-focused, looking away to Christ. Fixing our eyes on him is part of the interior renovation project that leads to a pure life. We're noticing that when we fix our eyes on Jesus, there are several wonderful things that we can confess are true and that can actually help us as we think about sexual purity in our lives. One of those things is that Jesus has made us pure forever. Nothing can ever change that. Another is that Christ has called us to follow him. That means we can find our identity in him now, not in our past, not in our sin, not in our public shame. There's one more implication that we want to draw out from this wonderful truth that Christ has called me to follow him. Second implication, second thing that that means is that I live in submission to him. I can find my identity to him, in him. Also, I live in submission to him. Think about the word following. If I'm following him, that necessarily means submission to him. That's always true, even outside of the, what we would call the religious realm. If I'm following you, if, you're, if we're going to have lunch after the service and I don't know where the restaurant is, and I'm following you, I'm submitting to where you're going. I'm placing myself under you. 
following always means submission. Submission to the will of another. And in this context, it means that my sexuality, like every other part of my life, is submitted to him. I'm under his word of command. We can't say in any sense that we're following Jesus if we are not taking instruction from him and being ruled by him and even overruled by him. It's incoherent, isn't it, to talk about following him if we're not willing to be redirected and overruled by Jesus. And so I want to say respectfully to you that if you are not finding your sexuality being corrected and redirected by him to the narrow channel of expression that God has called good, something is probably wrong. If you're not finding your sexuality being corrected and redirected and overruled by him into the narrow channel of sexual expression that God has called good, you have to ask yourself the question, am I following Jesus or am I asking him to follow me? Consider in the matter of your sexuality, what you give your mind and your body to, are you following Jesus into a narrower and narrower and harder path? Or are you asking him to follow you into a broader and broader place of expression? Have you set your feet to the hard way of Jesus where we don't get everything that we want? but we find our life and we get to be with him. We are fond of saying that Christianity is about a relationship with Jesus, and it is. And usually when we talk about relationship in Jesus, with Jesus, the thing that we emphasize is the length of that relationship, the fact that it goes on forever. And that's true, it does. But as we go through life, what we find is that the truly precious thing about the gift of eternal life is not the length of time, is not the length of the relationship we enjoy with Jesus. It's the depth. It is the depth that he allows us to see that he lets us come close to him and explore the contours of his heart through shared experience like opposition and betrayal and pain and loss and suffering and even like purity, through the experience of purity, even there we get to explore the contours of this person's heart 
What was the inside of his life like? When we pursue purity, we find out just a measure of what it's like to be pure, what it would have been like for Christ to live that life, what it's like to say no to what tempts us and lean into the all-sufficiency of God the Father. That's what happens when we're tempted and we say no. We lean into the all-sufficiency of God the Father, which was always where Jesus was driven in temptation. He leaned hard into God. And so when you go through that, when you are tempted and you say no, the great prize that you get is that you get to know in small measure what the life of Jesus Christ was like as you feel the full weight of that temptation in the moment and turn your back on it and lean hard into the all-sufficiency of God. And you can say, aha, I know a little bit better today what the life of Christ is like. So we, we do not hold up any higher prize for purity than knowing Christ. And if sexual purity is an area of great struggle for you, I just want to offer you one more word of encouragement here at the end because this study is done. We're going to move on to something else. But here's what I want you to know if this is a real struggle for your life, that at the end of all of this, the end of everything we've talked about, having gone through these six weeks, at the very end, what is waiting for you is not just a list of rules. And it's not just a pile of books to go home and read. And you're not just left with a bunch of sermon notes. At the end of everything, there is a person. There is a person to offer you. The Lord Jesus Christ, who has taken care of your purity problem and called you to come closer and follow him. And every time you exercise discipline and every affliction you go through and every sacrifice that you make is a little window into the life of God where you can catch glimpses of what is eternally beautiful. And it's so good to submit to him for that reason. What will that mean for you today? What will it mean for you to submit your sexuality to God? That's a question for everyone to consider on your own. What does it mean for you to submit your sexuality and your purity to him? Let me tell you, I'm not in any position to say what that means for you. Whatever I would ask you to do may not even be close to as hard to what Jesus wants you to do. That's between you and the Lord Jesus. He may ask of you, he may ask you to give up or change something that's much harder than I would ever dare ask you. What he asks you to do might cost you much, much more than I'd ever be comfortable asking you to give up or change. It's between you and him. All I can say for sure is that it will be hard and that you will really need to depend on him and that you're not alone. That everyone is walking that same path. So be resolved today to fix your eyes on Jesus. Set your eyes where the Heavenly Father has fixed His eyes on His beloved Son with whom He is well pleased. And let me tell you something. If there is enough in Jesus to please an infinite being, then there is enough in Jesus to please 
me and you. It must be so. Amen. Father, here at the end, thank you that we're not just left with a list of things to do, but a real living person, the kind of person that when we mess up, comes and finds us and fixes us breakfast like he did for Peter. Thank you so much that that's the kind of Lord that we have, that when we're at our lowest point and we've failed not once, not twice, but three times, he seeks us out and sits down with us and gives us a meal and restores us. We praise his name and his beautiful, pure life. Amen.